Good morning. We welcome you to a brand new series. We're kicking off the year and kicking off the year really looking at some of our spiritual disciplines. Now, we mentioned a little bit earlier about the Bible reading guides, about the daily devotionals that are available for you, and we want to encourage you to get into God's Word and to get into a time, a regular time of prayer each and every day. Those are two great things that will help us to grow. So we've given you some resources, paper resources, digital resources for the Bible reading part. When it comes to the prayer part, we're going to spend a number of weeks going through what is the most familiar, most well-known prayer from the Word of God. And it goes a little something like this. Maybe you can help me out. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Oh, here it comes. And forgive us our debts as we forgive the debtor. Debts and debtors and trespasses and trespass against us. Some of you say one, some of you say the other thing. But let's just move on to the next phrase. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So uh, most people and, uh, you know... Learning that and memorizing that, it, it tends to be kind of etched into our minds in, in King James English. And so as we recited that, most did that. Now, uh, this morning and, and throughout most of this year, I'm, I'm reading through the Bible in the New American Standard. And so that's what I'm going to be preaching out of this morning. Uh, but whatever you have got with you, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 6 as we get there in just a moment. Now, many parents teach the Lord's Prayer to their children. It's, it's one of those things, and, and some of our, our children's ministries, Lord's Prayer is something that is encouraged. And certainly along the way, as you're learning something and, and memorizing something that you're maybe not as familiar with, sometimes children learn them not quite the right way. Came across a few interpretations that some children had memorized. One child said, Our Father who art in heaven, Howard be thy name. Apparently thought God's first name was Howard. At least it's the, the last name of somebody in here, right? Yes, Howard be thy name. Another boy said, give us this steak and daily bread and forgive us our mattresses. He must have had a lumpy one. Another boy uh, really liked this line saying, lead a snot into temptation. Not sure if he was talking about, you know, someone who was a little rascally or, you know, talking about something that was there in his nose. And then one little girl said this, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us some email. That's the, the technological way, right? Uh, but we know the prayer is so much more than silliness. Prayer is serious business. It's it's conversing with, it's communicating with an almighty and an all-powerful God. Maybe you've heard of a man by the name of George Mueller. One of his incredible spiritual accomplishments or the accomplishments of his life was the formation of an orphanage in Bristol, England. He had noticed hundreds of homeless children on the streets and decided to do something about it. 
Though the dream had been planted, he had some big vision, but he also had some big problems. Ever been there? You've got big vision, but big problems. So he wanted to do something about this incredible uh, situation of orphans, but he didn't have a clue about how to begin or start or run an orphanage. He also had no money. As the story goes, he literally had two pence, which would be just a handful of pennies. He also did not have a building to house the orphans. So he didn't have a plan, he didn't have a building, and he didn't have any money. But he knew that God was desiring to do this. Problems were many. Answers were few, but he continued to trust God that God would be the one to bring about the necessary means. So he made the declaration that prayer was going to have to fund and fuel this orphanage because he could never do it alone without the power of God. Great reminders for us, right? That we cannot live or function without the power of God, without connecting to prayer in God. So he stayed true to his word. He started up an orphanage, and he used prayer to guide every step. It's been said that when he came to the end of his life, he had taken care of and overseen over 10,000 orphans. It was said that he would wake up every morning at 3 a.m. to pray, and that he never missed. It was also reported he had calluses the size of softballs on his knees, because of all the kneeling in prayer. His prayer journal was discovered. It was over 3,000 pages long and contained over 30,000 answered prayers. Can somebody just say, wow. In his prayer journal, you could read some of the just many miraculous answers to prayer. Things like milk trucks breaking down in front of the orphanage as he was praying for milk, bread being delivered for free when they had run out. Now, we hear situations like this, someone like a George Mueller, or maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's someone else who we look to as a a spiritual uh, veteran, if you would. And how many of you, when you hear this story, get just a wee bit intimidated You start hearing about somebody else's prayer life, and you're thinking, wow, 3,000 pages of prayer journals, 30,000 answers to prayer, getting up every morning at three, calluses the size of softballs, and our, our initial reaction many times is to feel intimidated or guilty or feel like, man, there's no way I can measure up. I want to encourage you this morning. Prayer is not meant to be intimidating. Prayer is meant to be intimate, personal. That personal connection, that personal communication, you and God. So we're going we're gonna to get into that here. As we talk about prayer, though, it's best to go to the Word of God And we find out what Jesus has to say about prayer. And very fortunately, Jesus both had a lot to say and both had a lot to do when it came to prayer. You look through the Gospels, and Jesus mentioned prayer over 40 times. 
But Jesus wasn't just someone who spoke about prayer. Jesus was someone who did some praying. In fact, as you look through the Word of God, you look through the Gospels, you see that they would mentioning Him praying nearly 30 times. So He spoke about it over 40 times, and nearly 30 times He was caught in some form of praying for someone or going by Himself to pray. The Scripture recounts a lot of Jesus praying. In fact, the disciples in Luke chapter 11, we also record the Lord's Prayer The disciples asked Jesus, teach us how to pray. Maybe that describes you and I, whether you've been a new Christian, a a somewhat kind of Christian, or a mature in the faith Christian, maybe the thought is, how do we pray, or how can I learn to pray in an even greater way? So the title of this series, very simply, is How to Pray. And certainly, as the disciples asked Jesus, teach us how to pray, Jesus said, this then is how you should pray. And he launched into the Lord's Prayer. Which amazingly, it's just over 50 words, particularly if you take off that that last phrase, for thine is a power and the glory. Just 50 to 60 words and a very simple thought as Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray. We're going to be looking at the Matthew section, so Matthew chapter 6, and a few verses before Jesus says, our Father, Jesus gives some other instructions. Luke's gospel doesn't record this. So in the next number of weeks, literally, we're going to be looking at, well, how do you pray? Today, the title of the message is, how not to pray. Because Jesus spent a a few verses teaching his disciples what not to do as well as what to do. How not to pray. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 5. When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full, but you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So Jesus says how not to pray. He says, don't be like the hypocrites. Instead, what should we do? Pray privately. Pray privately. He said, don't be like the hypocrites. That word hypocrite, it's that that transliteration of the Greek term. It refers to performers in some Greek theater plays. Actors would, would put on masks to conceal their identity, go on stage in front of the audience, and play a role in which they would pretend to be someone else. Jesus used this term to describe people who would pretend to be something they're not to impress others. He says, don't be like a hypocrite. Don't try to impress somebody else. Go pray privately. You see, a hypocritical prayer is one that is rewarded by man. Now, what's interesting, it's not that the hypocrites were praying that was wrong. For how, many of you, how many of you would agree that praying is a good thing? 
So he said, don't be like the hypocrites. Now, the hypocrites were praying. That's not the bad part. In fact, did you catch it? Jesus said something about hypocrites. I'm not sure he could say about each and every one of us in this room. Let's read that again in verse 5. For they love to stand and pray. Hypocrites love to pray. Praying is a good thing. So the fact that they were praying wasn't the bad thing. How they were praying, that wasn't the bad thing. Standing in prayer is not a bad thing. Kneeling in prayer is not a bad thing. Walking in prayer is not a bad thing. There's, how many of you know there's different postures to prayer? Now, we, we typically, we, we get in our minds that this, kneeling, bowing, hands outstretched, is the only way to pray. Now, that is definitely a way. But how many of you know it's not the only way? Now, I'm more of a walker. Whether it has something to do with my, my herniated disc, when I kneel and bend over, uh, which I do some, I, I tend to not last real long. I start thinking about my back, and, and I move this way, and I move this way, and I move this way. So my kneeling time tends to be kind of short. But you can stand. You can walk. So it's not that the hypocrites were praying that was bad. It's not that the hypocrites were standing and praying that was bad. It's not even where they were praying that was bad. Because it says they would pray in the synagogues and on the street corners. Again, this is incredible stuff. Jesus is saying, don't be like a hypocrite. Yet in some cases, we might say, hey, let's be like some hypocrites who love to pray. They'll pray in the synagogue as well as on the street corner. For some people, prayer only happens every now and then in a church building. I mean, praying publicly, praying where anybody else could see them, not a chance. Is it good to pray in the house of God? Absolutely. Is it good to pray out and about? Sure. We can pray. We can connect with God anywhere. So it's interesting. He's not saying don't be like a hypocrite because they pray, because prayer is good. He's not saying don't be like a hypocrite because they stand and pray. Standing is fine. Kneeling is fine. He's not saying it based on where, because in the synagogue or out on the street corners, prayer is prayer. But here's, here's what he is saying that we should not be like the hypocrites for. It's not about what they do. It's not about how they do it. It's not about where they do it. It's really about why they do it. Did you catch that last phrase? They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so they may be seen by men. That's the motivation for the hypocrite. They're not motivated to pray. They don't love to pray simply to connect with God. They don't pray in the sanctuary to connect with God. They don't pray when they're out and about, you know, Things come to mind and they thank God or pray to God. It's not about furthering or or continuing that relationship with God. 
When they pray, wherever they pray, however they pray, it all has one motivation, that others would see them pray. So Jesus says, don't be like them. Because when they pray out and about and other people see them, they've received the reward. The issue is not that men saw them praying. The issue is they prayed in order to be seen by men. So when other people saw them praying or commented or remarked on their praying, Jesus says that right there, they've received rewards already. They they got what they wanted. Instead, have the sincere prayer, connect with God. He says, your father who is in secret, he sees what's done in secret and will reward you. Now, let's just make a a statement here. Jesus is not saying to avoid praying publicly. Because I see some of you got these wheels spinning. Next time pastor says, hey, would you you lead us in prayer? Would you open us in prayer? Uh, uh, uh. You said, Jesus said, don't pray publicly. Now, don't, don't twist the words. He's not saying that you don't or that you shouldn't pray publicly in the synagogue, in our church facility, or out and about on the city streets. Don't do it to be seen by man. Don't do it for the motivation that somebody would look to you and say, wow, look at him, look at her. Listen to them pray. Oh, it's about the motivation. It's about the heart issue. He says, Let's make sure that that's not the key for us. The rewards of prayer, they're found in that private and and personal time with God. He says, the Father is the one who sees what's done in secret. He's the one that's going to reward. The bulk, the majority of our prayer time should be us communicating with God And we do so on our own time, on our own basis, and and someplace that's typically not out in front of everybody. So what does he say to do? When you pray, go to your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father. So whether you've got a a special room, a special chair, a special place that that you enjoy kind of getting away from maybe the hustle and bustle, find kind of a, a regular place that you can get alone with God. But you can help remove some distractions. How many of you know we can get distracted? If we start to pray, we've got great intentions. The phone rings, get a text, you get an email, the computer dings, uh, get the radio on, or you got the TV on, or you got this, or you got that. And, and if we're not really focused on God, sometimes it's, it's hard to, to continue to pray, to continue to grow in Him. So, he said, you know, get alone, get into your inner room. It doesn't necessarily mean you've got to build and add a room onto your house just for prayer, but just find a place, a place that's comfy, a place that you like to stand or sit or kneel, maybe not too comfy, you know, recliners, uh, laying down on the bed, maybe a little dangerous to get you falling asleep and counting sheep instead of 
communicating with the Creator. But prayer, secret prayer to the Lord, is the own reward. One author writes this, the secret to prayer is secret prayer. Connecting with God on our own sometime each day. And see, that's one of those things where we don't always see what or how somebody else prays, so we wonder, does anybody else pray? And if so, how and when and where? Jesus is saying, find a, a place, you and God, where it's private. The only time that, that we pray, hopefully, is, is not just on a Sunday morning a few minutes ago, as Mel led us in prayer. If that's the one and only time we're praying throughout the week, we've got some growing to do. If the only time that we pray is to kind of drop our heads and mumble a few words, God is good, God is great, thanks for all the food on my plate, amen, we've got some, some growing to do. So the encouragement, he says, don't be like the hypocrites. that They're trying to put on a show. They want other people to see them. And when that happens, they've already got their rewards. He said, don't be like that. Instead, pray privately. See, that public prayer, whenever we pray, that hopefully would be a reflection of our private, our personal prayer. Someone has kind of likened our prayer life to an iceberg. You know, an iceberg, you literally just see the, the tip just a small portion. Many people would say about 10% of the iceberg is above the surface. That's what you visibly see. Maybe about 90% or so of that iceberg is underwater. That's what forms the basis. That's what forms the foundation. That's what is the base of that iceberg that you visibly see. Let's make sure that our public prayer isn't the only strength and support in our personal walk with God. Let's undergird it and strengthen it by private prayer, spending time alone with our God. So he says, don't be like the hypocrites, but pray, connect with God, do so privately. Secondly, in the next couple of verses, verse 7 and 8, he says, and when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So again, he's telling us how not to pray. He says, don't use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles. Gentiles, heathens, pagans, those who don't truly have a relationship or know God. What's interesting is that he's saying even those people who don't have a relationship with God, even those people are praying. But don't pray like they do. Meaningless repetition. Other versions or translations here would say empty phrases. It's kind of the over and over repetition of words or phrases. Many times the Gentiles in that period, they worshiped many, many gods with many, many names. And so to make sure that they had all their bases covered, they would pray to each and every god. So I'm just going to pray and pray and pray. i, I, I got to mention all 100 gods, because if I don't mention every god, that might be the one who's really working. Don't want to miss out. 
And so it's just words and words and phrases and phrases. There's really no meaning, no power behind it as they pray to these meaningless, fake, false gods. But they think that the more words they have, maybe the more fancy words they have, the more impressive prayers that they have as they pray to all of these gods, surely one of those gods is going to hear and answer. He says, don't pray like that. Instead, I believe the encouragement would be to pray sincerely. First of all, he says, pray privately. Develop that personal life, you with God. Now, in these couple of verses, he's saying, pray sincerely. Now, understand, Jesus is not condemning the use of of prayers again. You, you pray for something once and you say, well, I already prayed for it once. I can't pray for it again. I don't want to repeat. He's not saying you can only pray for something once. But he's saying the content, are, are we just simply tossing out all kinds of words, hoping something sticks, trying to find that, that magic formula? Maybe that's been you at some point in time. Maybe you felt like, if, if I just prayed like this person, if I just knew the, the right words like this person, if I knew all the scriptures to use in prayer like this person, if I prayed as long as this person or whatever, you know, if my voice sounded as impressive as this person, surely God would hear me. And sometimes we make it about the style or about the content or about the, the many words or the kinds of words. Jesus is saying it's, it's not about that. It's about the sincerity of your heart to God. Again, we mentioned Jesus used just over 50 words in the Lord's Prayer. This then is how you should pray. In the next number of verses, 50 to 60 words, give or take in your version and your translation, Jesus gives us the pattern for prayer. Just a hint, I've gone well over 50 words today, and I'm not done yet. In fact, we're going to have another number of messages as we continue working our way through the entire Lord's Prayer. So by the time this series is done, I will have used hundreds, probably thousands, please don't count the number of words, unless you're seriously having trouble sleeping, then yes, uh, that, that, that's probably better than you know, some of those sleep aids. Just you know, pull up the message on algerag.com, press play, and get a, get a clicker. But I'm going to be spending hundreds and thousands of words, minutes upon minutes upon minutes, teaching and preaching about the Lord's Prayer, and Jesus simply did it in 50 to 60. So it's not about the number of words. It's not if we say, okay, if I just prayed an extra minute or an extra 10 minutes, or boy, if I was like that George Mueller and I prayed for hours, it's not that there's this magic formula, this magic number that God's saying, well, boy, I was really about to do something, but you prayed 999 words. If you'd have just prayed one more word, just, just added a filler, you know, like God, Jesus, Lord, Savior, Master, if you had one more filler word, then I would have answered your prayer. It's not about the number of words. It's not about the kind of words. We don't have to try to impress anybody else. 
You ever felt like you, you had to pray like somebody else? Or, you, you, you know, this is probably one of uh, church people's fears, right? In a Sunday school class or a church service or something, when it's pray around the circle time. Oh, goodness, right? Because somebody starts, and it's, it's usually someone who's, you know, pretty comfortable doing that, who starts. As it keeps going around the circle, you're, you're trying to pre-plan your prayer. You've never done that, I'm sure. So you're trying to pre-plan your prayer, and then you get to the second person in line, and they start using a few of your go-to phrases. You're like, oh, can't use that. You get to the third person in the line, and, and they start using all the names of God. And you're thinking, well, that's, that's my go-to filler. I can't use that. Okay. And then the next person in the line goes, and, and they bring out a scripture verse that you, you know, that's kind of your fallback. That's kind of your crutch, you know. Bring out this verse. Oh, I can't use that. And it gets to you, and you start sweating. And pretty soon, you draw a blank, and you just, you just don't know what to do. I know that's never happened to you, right? So all those people in the other churches outside. It happens. Because unfortunately, sometimes we can, can have some unneeded, unnecessary pressure that we put in place upon ourselves. It happens to all of us. I mentioned I've been serving as a presbyter here this last year, starting my second year. And, and a part of being a presbyter is being a part of presbytery meetings, which means either connecting via the internet, we have some web conferences, or connecting in person in our uh, state headquarters, the Ohio Ministry Network Resource Center down in Columbus. So between in-person meetings and web conference meetings, we have quite a few regular meetings over the course of a month. And there's uh, some, some very godly, uh, mature men and women, 20 to 25 different presbyters and presbyters at large and executive presbyters and, and our, our leadership team. And over this last year, just in 12 months worth, even though there's you know, 15 to 20 to 25 of us, in 12 months, I've been asked to pray twice. Once on a web conference, once in person. Now, all the stuff that we've just talked about the last couple of minutes, right? It doesn't change just because you're a pastor. Yes, now I'm a pastor, I'm, I'm a presbyter, and I'm not the youngest, I'm, I'm one of the younger ones. There's men and women, people who have, have you know, lived godly lives for decades. And now you're going to go pray in front of all your, your leaders in the state. And leaders upon leaders. How many times have I prayed? In a service, in a Bible study, as a youth pastor, as a senior pastor. You know, any, uh, any wedding reception that you know, I'm invited to. Whether they ask you in advance or not, you know you're going to pray. I mean, just about any place you go, the default go-to guy is the pastor. I went to, uh, it's been years ago, we went to a work party with Kim. Kim's work Christmas party. I don't know if I'd ever met most of these people before. I show up, guess who is asked to pray? So, yes, I've prayed many, many times in front of all kinds of audiences. But I confess, you get a little nervous, you get a little intimidated, you think hey, you're just praying in front of people. All that stuff goes through your mind just like it might go through yours. 
Don't want to pray too long. Don't want to be too showy. Don't want to pray too short. Well, that looked kind of silly. I don't really have anything to pray for. Well, probably ought to pray about some of these needs, but what do I pray about these? And on and on and on and on, right? We're like that. So Jesus, he's trying to remove all this stuff. He's trying to get down to the simplest measure. Number one, he says, pray privately. Make this a a part of your life where you get away from people and it's just you and God. And then he says, pray sincerely. In other words, you just be you. You don't have to use words or phrases like somebody else. You don't have to try to imitate or or copy somebody else. There's some people who will tend to pray in more of King James language. That's great. You don't have to try to copy them. There are some people who pray this way or that way. He just says, pray sincerely. Don't feel you've got to use every word known to mankind, but do feel the opportunity, the encouragement to take the time and pray. So sometimes we, we, we put so much on ourselves saying, am I doing it right? Do you have a sincere heart to get alone with God, grow in a relationship with Him, and spend some time with God in prayer, speaking to and hearing from, then you're doing it right. Now, there's some tools. There's a lot of different tools on on maybe topics to pray about. Many people would have a, a prayer list. Maybe there's some people or some situations they pray about on a regular basis. Either the same things every day or, or maybe kind of rotate through a, a list over the course of a week. I mean, there's a lot of different ways and styles and and tools and tips, but you boil it down to the simplest ones, pray privately, pray sincerely. And here's the thing, the tail end of that verse, Jesus says, don't be like them, the Gentiles, who use all these words to try to get the attention of God. For your Father knows what you need before you ask. How powerful is that? Our loving Heavenly Father, He knows what we need even before we ask. So maybe you say, well, why pray then? God knows everything. God desires that we would pray. God desires that we would connect and grow in that relationship with Him. When we bring our needs to Him, it's not telling God, it's not informing Him about something He doesn't know about. You ever had that news I don't know if you heard about so-and-so, but we need to pray because this happened. Oh, I didn't know. We're not coming to God saying, God, I I don't know if you've heard. Not sure if you knew this or not, but here's what's going on in my life right now. We're not informing God of anything new. We're not informing him of of something that he, he doesn't already know. It simply affirms, it reaffirms that he's the one with the strength and the power able to handle that situation. And if anything, maybe it just reminds us he's the only one that can help in this situation. So we're not telling God something he doesn't know, but it's reaffirming God's the one that can meet that need. 
It says, our Heavenly Father, He knows what you need before you ask. God knows what we need. We can pray confidently to God. There was a Dr. McCutcheon of Oklahoma. He was traveling on the highway from Tulsa to Oklahoma City, visiting a member who was in the hospital. On the way, he got a flat tire. Thankfully, he made it off to the side of the road next to one of those call boxes. You've seen those here and there, and certainly this is before the the day and age of the cell phone where everybody would have a phone just to be able to call instantaneously. But he was able to get his way to one of the call boxes on those poles off the side of the highway. He never used it before. He was a little bit confused. So he picks up the phone, and a voice responds on the other end, So nervously, he's telling them all about who he is, what he's doing, where he's going, what the problem is, what the situation is, and he keeps trying to share everything, every detail of his story. And she kept trying to cut him off. So he'd share more details, and she'd cut him off, and and he'd cut her off, cutting him off to share more details. The more he tried to tell her where he was, the more she kept trying to cut him off. Finally, she got his attention and she said, Sir, I have a computer on my end. I know exactly where you are. I just need you to tell me what you need. I think sometimes that's the way with with us and God. Uh, We spend so much time saying... God, this, and God, that. We can just simply come and say, God, I need your help. I need your strength. I need your support. I need your encouragement. I need your provision. God, grow me. God, develop. God, strengthen me. What's powerful is that God knows what we need even before we ask. So Jesus encourages us. Before we even get to the Lord's Prayer, he says we ought to pray privately. We ought to pray sincerely. Finally, let me share this with you. I believe Jesus encourages us to pray regularly. How not to pray? Don't not pray. Boy, isn't that great English. Double negatives, right? Don't not pray. If we're, if we're going to continue the, you know, what not to do, I guess we got to get a, a double negative in there. But basically, Jesus is encouraging us, assuming that we will pray. Check out these verses. Verse 5, Jesus says, when you pray. Verse 6, but you, when you pray. Verse 7, and when you are praying, and in verse 9, Jesus says, pray then in this way. Four times in five verses, Jesus assumes and Jesus says that we will be praying. It assumes that the godly, that the righteous, that the individuals who have a relationship with the almighty God and creator... He's assuming we will want to grow and develop that relationship. It's understood that we will pray. Jesus is simply saying, when you do, don't do these things, but do these things. The encouragement is pray regularly. God's people 
True disciples of God will pray on a regular basis. Some have said that prayer is to the soul what oxygen is to the body. It's necessary. It's required. It is vital for our spiritual health, our spiritual growth. Maybe you're here this morning and you're beginning 2018 and feeling as if, boy, there's, there's just a, a lot that maybe could be done or could be grown in your life. Let's encourage us with this concept and this principle to pray on a regular basis each and every day. Does that mean every single one will get up at three in the morning like George Mueller and and pray for hours and hours and hours and have calluses the size of softballs? God might challenge some to do that. But can we each pray somehow, some way, somewhere, every day? I believe we can. Jesus says when you pray. It's understood that we will. I would encourage us to to check and and allow God just to kind of prompt our hearts and our lives when it comes to our prayer life. Make plans to be with God. See, the interesting thing, we give Bible reading guides, Bible reading plans, and to read through the entire Bible from cover to cover Here's all the different little boxes that need to be checked to accomplish that. We don't really have prayer guides. It's kind of pray. Now, certainly there's resources how we pray, a lot of different ways, styles, times, and opportunities. But would you commit to prayer? We're setting aside this week, just calling it a week of prayer and fasting and encouraging you to do that. Does that mean everybody needs to pray five times a day or 10 times a day or, you know, a half an hour a day or 10 hours a day? There's not necessarily descriptions, but would you pray? Would you commit to pray each and every day? For many of you, would you undertake a time of fasting? Going without, if you're medically able, going without a meal or or going without something and instead focusing on God, many times praying and reading God's word in place of that, to dedicate and, and devote and to hear from him during this week, week of prayer and fasting. Jesus says, pray regularly. One of these stories that I've loved to read, loved to hear Early African converts to Christianity were earnest and regular in their private prayer times and devotions. Each one reportedly had a spot in the thicket where they would pour their heart out to God. Over time, back and forth to these spots in the thicket, these paths to their quiet places would become well-worn. As a result, if one of the believers began to regularly neglect their time of prayer, it was soon apparent to others. They would kindly remind the negligent one with this phrase, brother or sister, the grass grows on your path. Hmm. Does the grass grow 
on your path to your quiet place with God. Can you imagine if, if we had such a physical demonstration of praying or not? We've got a Bible reading guide and, and we can see lots of boxes checked. Is there a guide indicating that we've prayed? Is there a, a visible reminder? And, and some people you know, boy, you must have skipped, been skipping your time with God because you grumpy. But their question their statement was, the grass grows on your path. I'd ask us each to allow God just to inspect our heart, our walk, our relationship with him. Before we jump in, next week we're going to begin with the Our Father who art in heaven. But Before we get to that, these verses leading up to it, Jesus is encouraging you and me. He's saying, would you pray privately? Would you pray sincerely? Just be you. But would you pray regularly and seek my face? 